Well, good morning, New Life family, and welcome. Good morning. I'm Kent. This is Julie, and we're the Utterbacks. Um, welcome to you in the sanctuary and you out on the patio. Yes, patio people. It's a beautiful day out there. Hi, patio people. Uh, and I'd like to say uh, welcome, especially to those online. We really do appreciate that you watch us all the time, and I know a lot of you, this is where you get your spiritual food, so thank you. Uh, if you ever need prayer, please reach out, put it in the chat box, or we'll get back to you on that, because we, we want to love on you as well. Yes, and for those of you who are new, uh, we would love to get to know you a little bit better at, and invite you to come out to the uh, connection booth, and uh, we have one in the patio and two in the hall, and... Um, we have free gifts as well. What a deal. Yes, we are a family here, aren't we? I mean, look at all these bright and shiny faces today. Uh, so we have a couple things today that are happening. Uh, one is the trip to Egypt. Those of you that are involved with that or want to be, there's a meeting today uh, with Pastor Dave uh, at 4 o'clock. And probably the closest I'll ever get to Egypt is, so let it be written. So let it be. Ten Commandments. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Hang we uh, do have a wonderful uh, lunch after the second service today for uh, all the new families. Uh, please come join us uh, for pizza with the pastor. And it's a great chance to meet Pastor David and uh, our staff and uh, learn a little bit more about our church. Yummy pizza, too. Yeah. So with that, if we could just have you rise and stand and uh, greet each other and ask the neighbor next to you, what kind of topics do you like on your pizza? That's right. For your hearts, for worship. God bless you.
Oh, how sweet, how sweet. 
In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 32, God is rescuing his people. It says this. It says, for the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession. He found them in a desert land in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them, and he watched over them, and he guarded them as he would guard his own eyes. The Lord alone guided them, and they followed no foreign gods. He let them ride over the highlands and feast on the crops of the fields. He nourished them from, with honey from the rock and olive oil from the stony ground. But Israel soon became fat and unruly. Shots fired. They abandoned the God who had made them. They made light of the rock of their salvation. And it says this, is this the way you repay the Lord? You foolish and senseless people. Isn't he your father who created you? Has he not made you and established you? Remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders and they will tell you. And I was just reminded this morning that we are a forgetful people. And that's why it's so, this is the beauty of the local multi-generational church that we can gather together and remind ourselves of the good things God has done, that we can sit down with Travis Evans and just say, tell me everything the Lord's done in your 90 years. We can sit down with high schoolers because they have stories too and say, share everything that God has done. And we can encourage one another because we're so quick to forget and think we've done all of this on our own, but we haven't. It's the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord, right? And so this, during this next song, I just want us to remember it's like a spiritual discipline of remembering the things that God has done. So as we sing this next song, Firm Foundation, just think back to the moments where God has come through. Maybe it wasn't in the way you wanted, and maybe it wasn't more than you needed, but he provided what you needed. And let's just remind ourselves of the goodness and faithfulness of God. Amen?
you see us. You hear us, God, and you're not just with us. You are for us, God. So I just ask a blessing today, God, on this, on all of us here today, God. You are so worthy, God. We just give you today, God. May you use us, God, to be your hands and feet to share with others, God, of how great you are, how faithful you are, God. So we just give you this morning in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. Ooh, what an amazing morning. Can we just give God some praise? Oh. <laughs> so if you know me, I'm over there giggling, crying, praising all at the same time. So just a typical mess. But um, wow, what a special time. And God is so good. And I just wanted to invite the ushers forward to receive the offering. And um, I just get the opportunity, and I'm just so excited this morning to kick off that we are starting a new sermon series, and um, it's called A Beautiful Disruption, and with that, Pastor David's going to explain more about what that means, but we are go- we get the privilege during this sermon series to love on our community and each other. And we talked last week that we are starting early in May, and we're going to be loving on the high school teachers at Arroy Grandy High School, and we are collecting $10 gift cards to be able to give to each one. If you brought them today, we do have baskets at the connection counter. Um, You also can bring them by this week and next Sunday, but that's just one thing that we're doing that we get to love on our community. So hopefully everybody received one of these when you came in today, and it is full of opportunities. And I promise you there is something for everybody in here. If you're a card writer, you like to paint walls, you like to write, what else would you like to bake? There is some, deliver things, there is something for everybody. But we are going to do a big kickoff this Wednesday at our last Wednesday. And we are going to just be able just to pray for what God has during this this time. And also we're going to talk about the different opportunities. We're going to show people on how to do some of the things. It is really going to be fun. At 5.30, you can join us for dinner And it is going to be soup and salad. And you might think, soup and salad. If you have not tasted Jules baked potato soup, I'm not sure you've lived. Like, it is amazing. So we invite you to come at 5.30. At 6 o'clock, we will start just digging into God's word and what he has for us. So we'd love for you to come. Um, I am very visual. So when I heard the title, The Beautiful Disruption, I had to really think about what does that mean? And um, yesterday, I came home from a trip to Yosemite, which that just took my breath away. But all those waterfalls to me, really, that just showed what a beautiful disruption. They weren't, you know, just planned. We had a lot of rain and snow and just what that looked like. So to me, that's beautiful disruption. I'm hoping I'm kind of right on. But that just, if you could just have that picture in your head. And um, I'm going to just read a scripture God put on my heart as you prepare your heart for what God has for you today. Nehemiah 9, 6. You are the Lord, the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Amen, amen. 
Well, it's so good to be here, New Life, and to not only gather here, but online and on the patio. And uh, man, I pray that you have come hungry this series to be shaped by Jesus, to be filled with his spirit, and to be sent as one who, uh, who is a part of the family of God, who is part of the body of Christ. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to open them up to the book of John. We're going to be in a couple different places in the book of John, but John chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 20 through 23 to begin with. And uh, as you find your way there to John chapter 20, John is in the New Testament or the second half of the Bible. It is one of the gospels. We have the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's where we learn about the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who is the Son of God. Amen? Awesome. Hey, I like it. You're already talking to me this morning. This is what I like. This is what I like. So... This language that we're going to be using this series, this idea of a beautiful disruption, I want to break it down for just a moment. Uh, First of all, this idea of disruption or disturbance. Um, Disruption is something that which uh, interrupts regular activity. Something that might be even more so, or a disturbance is something that interrupts uh, regular activity. A disruption is something that changes, radically changes an industry or the market, right? So it's this idea that something is going along and things are normal or they have a particular way of operating and then all of a sudden something is inserted into that market or industry that changes everything. And so if you are like me, um, you've experienced some of these disruptions periodically along your lifetime, specifically in the area of music. How many people had a record player growing up? Incredible, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember that the, the records that my, my, my dad had, and we had a record player, and I would go and I would steal his records out of his collection. Um, things like I grew up listening to Simon and Garfunkel. I, li- I grew up listening to the Beatles. I grew up listening to these various records. But one of the things about a record, um, it, you could very easily scratch that record if you weren't careful. And you had to sometimes guesstimate, like, hey, where was, where was I at in that song? Like, you know, you know, all those types of things. But there was a disruption in the record industry, in the vinyl industry that came along, and it was called the 8-track. <laughs> Who had an 8-track? Yeah, yeah, 8-track. You put that thing in, you had to listen to the whole album, man. It was, it was like you were just kind of rolling with it. Good song, bad song, didn't matter. You were just rolling with it. And, and so we had these, uh, we also had an eight track. And, and I used to live specifically around the holiday season. I would put in the chipmunk Christmas, man. And I would pop that eight track in and I would listen to that as we were decorating. And it was just the greatest thing ever. And then there was another disruption that happened um, as I was experiencing growing up. And that was the cassette tape. Woo, that thing revolutionized things. Because all of a sudden, it became portable also. Like you could carry that. First, it became portable. You had a big old boom box, right? You had a big old boom box that you could kind of carry around and take places. But it kept getting smaller and smaller until you had the Walkman. And you were able to put a cassette tape in that. My very first cassette tape, 1988, Don't Be Cruel, Bobby Brown, man. I... I was like, you know, like I had to go and like, like you had to go to the store and you had to hope that it was still in stock. It was not on demand. It was something that you had to go to. My second cassette cassette tape, this shows you how eclectic I am. And I'm going to, some of you won't even know what this group is, but don't be cruel, Bobby Brown and Striper. 
Like, that's, that, is, that is David Hutsko in a nutshell, right? Like, like two ends of the spectrum right there. If you don't know what Striper is, go look it up. Um, but, but you, you know, those were the things that, like, disrupted the industry, right? You had, this, you had these things going on. Then came along the compact disc. Oh, now all of a sudden, see, with the cassette tape, you had to, you know, you had to like fast forward and rewind to your favorite songs or something. Now you could just like click, 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 click. There's my favorite song. All of a sudden you had a disc man. And then, you know, they were, industry wasn't quite ready for this disruption yet. So every car still had a cassette deck in it, not a CD player. Man, if you had a CD player, you were like, man, you were living large if you had a CD player in your car. And, and so what we had to do is we had to get a disc man and then we had to get a, 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 a device that connected it to the tape player, right? And so then all of a sudden, this, this disruption in the industry forced us to come up with new technology and new ways of selling things. And then came along the iPod, right? And then all of a sudden, things went digital. I mean, when Napster was getting sued, did you ever think that we would have things like Spotify and all that? Some were like, Napster who, what? But but all of a sudden, this other disruption came into the industry, and you didn't realize how much this would shape our culture, or I didn't realize how much this would shape my culture, until one day I was listening to the radio, my kids were in the back seat, and, um, and the radio was on, it was playing some music, and they asked for a request on the radio. And I'm like, no, you don't get to request on the radio. I mean, you can't. Remember back in the day, I used to call up, like, you know, I, so yes, you can request, but like, I can't just punch in a button and all of a sudden a new playlist come, comes on. Like, they didn't fully understand that music wasn't always on demand. And another shift had happened in the music industry. So these disruptions happen, and they not only change how we do things, they change how we see things. It actually changes our worldview. It changes the way that we perceive things. It changes the way that we believe that things can operate because all of a sudden you have an entire generation because of a disruption in the music industry who can have music on demand. No longer do you have to have the skill set of hitting record and play at the very same time and waiting for your song to come on the radio and making your mixtape like that. You can just simply go through Spotify and be like, click, 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 play playlist, a different way of understanding things. And so when it comes to being the body of Christ and when it comes to being the church, there was a disrupt, disruption that happened within how we understand who we are as the body of Christ and how we understand how Jesus is gonna operate in this world and how we understand how the citizens of God's kingdom are gonna operate in this world. And I wanna refer to that as a beautiful disruption. Because it's not only a beautiful disruption in our lives, but it's a beautiful disruption that we get to go into this world and give people a different way of seeing things and understanding life. See, their whole operating system that they thought that this is the way things always will be, all of a sudden we get to step into those moments and say, hey, there's a different way of understanding life and understanding God and understanding us than you ever imagined. So in John chapter 20, verses 20 through 23, we read about what this is gonna, gonna look like. And so there's actually two different passages that I wanna hit on, and this is the first one. It says this, as he spoke, this is Jesus, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. 
and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. So you have the disciples and they're gathered with Jesus and Jesus comes along and says, hey, here's the wounds in my hands and here's the wound in my side, which means that Jesus is alive. And so when he gathers around them and when they recognize this, they say that Jesus is the Lord. This was an encounter with Jesus. This wasn't just a belief about Jesus. This was an encounter with Jesus. And the proclamation here is so key. It says, Jesus is Lord. Lord or the Lord is the Greek word kyrion, which comes from the uh, kind of base word or root word kyrios, which means supreme authority. Jesus is a beautiful disruption in our life because he becomes the supreme authority in our life. The other things that had a th- supreme authority, the other things that we thought were authoritative, all of a sudden take a secondary seat in our lives and Jesus becomes the supreme authority or sometimes translated master, authority or master. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to think about something. Is Jesus really Lord of my life? Like, is he, is the, is he the supreme master? Is he the Lord? Does he have supreme authority in my life? Have I allowed him to disrupt my life in such a way where I would declare that he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Again, he said, Jesus speaking, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let's break this down for a moment. Jesus is Lord, and then he pronounces this, peace be with you. He is extending peace to them. Now remember, these disciples had just experienced one of the most traumatic moments of their life. The person that they had been following was crucified, placed in the tomb, but then is risen from the dead. They were being confronted by individuals and say, hey, are you one of the followers? So there was anything but peace in their life during this particular season. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, peace be with you. When God shows up, When Jesus shows up and disrupts our life, there is good news. Peace be with you. It doesn't always feel that way right away, but he brings good news and peace into our lives. And then he says, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What that doesn't mean is that we are supposed to travel with the gospel. I think people like take on the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of the good news, and they travel and they think like, my job is just simply just to like take the, 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 the knowledge of the good news, the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of the gospel and travel rather than what the original language means is to transmit. And transmit is way different than travel. Travel says I'm kind of disconnected from this and I'm just going from one place. I may be carrying something from one place to the other. Transmit means that God has done something in me and now I am called to go and transmit what God has done in me to other people. And this is so key because this is why 
This is why this really weird portion, because some of you caught it, some of you didn't, uh, this really weird portion of verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought Jesus was the only one who had the authority to forgive sins. What John, what the author of John is saying in this particular portion is that as, as God has sent Jesus, Jesus is now sending us, and what we are called to do is to transmit the authority, not our authority, but Jesus's authority. And so he has called us to experience his forgiveness and then to declare and transmit that idea and embodiment of forgiveness to other people. It's so vital that we see that it's a flowing through. How will people know about the forgiveness of Jesus? As we experience it, as we experience it, and it's transmitted through us. Well, how is this done? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says in the passage that he breathes on them. If you're familiar with scripture, you'll remember from the book of Genesis, how does God, when he creates humanity, he breathes the breath of life in them. So here you have in the beginning of the church, him breathing the Holy Spirit upon these disciples so that they might come alive with the Spirit. We are not just people who simply just carry the knowledge of the gospel. We're not just simply people who carry the knowledge of Jesus. We're not people who just simply carry the knowledge of Jesus' forgiveness. We are people who embody Jesus and embody his spirit and embody his forgiveness and embody his grace and embody who Christ is that we might transmit it every where we go. He breathed on them and they are awakened to who they are. We use this language around here at New Life. They become fully alive in Jesus. And so there's, again, these characteristics that we see in this passage. Jesus is Lord. The spirit is in you and you have been called to transmit the authority of and the good news of Jesus. So you might be asking yourself, whoa, 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 that, that seems like really heavy stuff. Like that seems like pretty significant. So how is this going to happen? How are these individuals going to carry this gospel? How are they going to transmit this gospel around the world? How are they, people are going to experience the love of Jesus? Because Jesus is no longer physically here. So how are they going to experience the love of Jesus? How are they going to experience the forgiveness of Jesus? How are they going to experience the, the authority and power of Jesus and the healing of Jesus? When we find this out, how this is going to take place, actually, if you flip forward just a little bit to John chapter 21, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. If you remember when we talked several weeks ago, that when Jesus invites Peter to breakfast, that is the reconciliation of Peter who denied Jesus three times and now is restored in relationship with Jesus as Jesus invites him to the table, right? But then we also talked about there's a restoration of Peter's calling, 
Can I suggest to you something? Some of you have experienced the restoration of your relationship with God through Christ Jesus, but you've never embraced the restoration of your calling. You actually keep looking at, the, at yourself and you're like, yes, I know that I'm forgiven, but I could never. I could never teach. I could never do this. I could never enter into this world. I could never carry out the calling that God wants. I, I, I know what God's calling me to, but there's no way he could ever use this mess in order to do that. John 21. After breakfast, so after the restoration of relationship with Peter, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you, then feed my lambs. Jesus told him, Jesus, feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, some of us know or have heard kind of the commentary or the study on this particular passage. Peter denies Jesus three times, and you see the restoration of this calling happen in this question three times. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. If you go back earlier, Jesus says, Peter, upon you, upon faith like yours, I'm going to build my church. This is the calling that he has given Peter. Peter, this, this ability to go and take the gospel. And now you have in chapter 21, Jesus restoring that calling. He hasn't given. This is radical stuff. It is not easy. Like, the very first time that, you, that your child fender-bendered a car or got a speeding ticket or, did, or you were teaching them how to drive and they ran a stop sign and all of a sudden, that next time that you got back into the car with that child and they're behind the wheel again, and you are saying, we're gonna do this again, knowing full well that they could wreck that car again, that they could get another speeding ticket, they could, they could do one of those things that would just kind of totally blow things up. All of a sudden, there's an authority that is given and a trust that is given that says, I invite you back into this. Peter's forgiveness leads to his calling. And when Jesus is having this conversation with him, he's not like, Peter, I have pity on you. He's not like, Peter, do you love me? Oh, you do? Oh, there, there, Peter. There, there. Peter, do you love me? Oh, Peter, don't worry. It's okay. I forgive you. No, he's already forgiven him when he invited him into relationship through fellowship at the table. So what Jesus does in this context is, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Well, here, here's the challenge then. Respond to my love by feeding my sheep. 
Respond to this forgiveness. Respond to this love. Respond to this moment. Respond to this second chance. Respond to this redemption by feeding my sheep. It's not, there, there, Peter. You're broken and you're messed up. You'll never be worth anything, but you're forgiven. No, it's there, there, Peter. Hey, here's the challenge. Go feed my sheep. And it's a costly calling. In fact, Jesus predicts and shares with Peter how he's going to die just verses later for the sake of the gospel. It is costly. It is challenging. It is difficult. Feed my sheep. And Jesus's, or Peter's response to Jesus asking him this, the question, do you love me, is a response to the love that he has received. Our response to our calling, our response to go into the world and to carry the gospel, to transmit the gospel is a response to what we have received. If we haven't received the forgiveness of Christ, if we haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, we cannot be sent into the world. And so Jesus is essentially saying, Peter, go feed my people like I would feed them. Let me say that again. Go feed my people like I would feed them. Not like go do it however you want to. Go feed my people like I would, or maybe translate it this way. Go love the world like I would love them. Go care for the world like I would care for them. Go embrace the world and with compassion and generosity like I would embrace him with compassion and generosity. Go and be this beautiful disruption because they don't understand the beautiful nature of the good news of the gospel and they don't understand my love and they haven't yet experienced, but you have, Peter. You've experienced my love and you've experienced my compassion and you've experienced my grace and you've experienced my mercy and I want you to transmit that to a world who so desperately needs to hear it. This is our calling that we would be filled with God. We'd experience his grace, Jesus' grace. We'd be filled with his spirit and we would be sent into a world. So why is it necessary? Or maybe ask it this way. If we're sent into a world, what are we being sent into? What does a holy disruption actually look like? Well, I did some processing and some thinking and some reading. And I began to ask myself, hey, what is our current, current cultural context? What are the things that are going on in our culture where I ask myself, how can we be an absolute beautiful disruption of God's mercy and grace and his peace and his forgiveness in this world? How can we transmit that into this world? And so here are a couple of things that you may have noticed and that I have noticed that are going on in our current culture. And the first one is this, a rise in mental health concerns and anxiety. A rise in mental health concerns and anxiety. We, and there's many reasons for this, but one of the reasons that we are seeing this uh, become so prevalent is we are inundated with pain, suf pain and suffering right now in our world. 
There's never been a time in history where you're not more aware of pain and suffering in the world. In fact, you wanna talk about a disruption, it used to be that when we grew up, we were really only aware of the pain and suffering that was right in our immediate sphere of influence. So just the people that were around us. We were aware of the pain and suffering in our own lives and we were aware of the pain and suffering in our family's life. And we maybe were aware a little bit, especially if you were just a child uh, growing up, that you might've overheard conversations with parents and you were aware of maybe the pain and suffering that were happening in the extended family or the neighbor's family or something of that. But that was really the extent of it. The reality is that today that our kids are growing up and you as an individual are more aware of pain and suffering in our world every single day than you ever were in your entire life. You're aware of every war that goes on in our world because your phone tells you every single day. You're aware of every uh, crisis that, it, that we are engaged in. You're aware of every shooting that happens. You are aware of all the poverty that's taking place all over the world. You are aware of the water crisis that's happening globally. You're aware of generational poverty. You're aware of everything that is happening in our world. You're inundated with it constantly. And so there's a rise in mental health concerns and anxiety as I believe that we were never created or designed to deal with that level of pain and suffering coming all at us at once, and we're not quite sure what to do with it. And that's just on one end of the spectrum. What about this idea that as generations get older, one of the things that's causing uh, stress amongst my generation and older is the fact that uh, several things are happening. We are either uh, caregiving for parents at the same time we are raising children, or we're sometimes caregiving for parents at the, now we're raising grandchildren. We find ourselves pulled in these different directions, and it's wearing on us. And it's stressful, and it's difficult. And so the holy disruption for the people of God becomes, what if we got, what if we got into people's mess with them? What if they didn't feel like they were alone? What if, what if we were able to transmit peace? What if we were able to come alongside what if we were able to gather together? What if we were able to bear each other's burdens with one another? What if we were able to pray for one another? What if, when you gather, what if the reason we gathered with the people of God, you know, because I think in a world where we are so stretched in these many, in many places that, that my tendency at least is to say, hey, there's a problem, there's a mess, how do I go the other way? But the gospel actually leads me to messes to bring the peace of God, to bring the care of God, to bear each other's burdens with one another. Second thing that I'm noticing, that we live in a culture of storyless people. We live in a culture of storyless people. You know, it's interesting that I mean, you can say that people have stories, and, and, and I get that. Like, in our culture, like, we elevate the story of success. That's something that people anchor themselves to. The problem is, what happens when you're not successful anymore? 
What happens when you're, it's time to retire and you can't kind of keep climbing the corporate ladder and success isn't a part of it? What happens when, when your health begins to ail and, um, and you begin to experience health concerns and, and all of a sudden you can't be successful anymore? What do you do with life in those moments? Many philosophers believe that, that we have anchored ourselves to stories to help make sense of life and sense of our purpose and who we are and how we operate in this world, that, that somehow through stories we're given a lens to understanding things. Back in the day, Burger King gave us a lens to understanding things. Have it your way, right? But all of a sudden, that's been transmitted to other areas of life. Have it my way. We live in a culture and a place where everybody does what's right in their own eyes. If you go to the book of Judges, you'll find out really quickly how that doesn't turn out well. We live in a culture where everybody is choosing their own path, their own story, what works for them. But what happens when those stories end up empty? When they don't provide the purpose, when they don't give you the framework for understanding life. In fact, you can make the argument that the reason we are more divided than ever before is because we don't have a common story that brings us together. We are a storyless people. When I was young, we would sing a hymn of the church. I'm just make sure I get the words correct. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. For this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. So we have this story of salvation that we anchor ourselves in. That gives us an understanding of this world and gives us an understanding of us and what I perceive that is happening, not just outside of the church, but also inside the church, that some of us, I'm gonna speak to parents and grandparents right now, some of us, our relation and our encounter with God is more about a grandparent or a pastor that we once had or somebody that we had in our life that was a giant of faith in our life and our connection is to that person. So the reason you don't do something or the reason you live with a certain moral compass or the reason you you have some type of faith center in your life is because of grandma or grandpa. And you're connected to faith in Christ because of them. You've never actually connected with Jesus. The problem is your kids and your grandkids don't have the same connection with that grandparent. 
They don't have the same connection with that individual that was in your life. So they are growing up in a generation that is disconnected from faith, disconnected from the story of God. And so as parents and as grandparents, can I speak to us for a moment? We need to be a holy disruption in the lives of our kids and the lives of our grandkids and invite them to understand the story of God, amen? So they cannot do that if you've never experienced it. If you have never experienced the grace of God, experienced the mercy of God, experienced the forgiveness of God, if you've never experienced Jesus, you will never be able to transmit Jesus. You can talk about Jesus. You can talk about Jesus's kind of moral or ethical conduct. But can I tell you something? The bullet point list of morals about Jesus does not change people's lives. Encounters with the risen Lord and being filled with his spirit transforms lives. We are called to transmit the story of God, the power of God, not just knowledge about God. And so do you know something to write down? Do I know the story of God? Like if, you, if your kids or your grandkids or somebody who is a friend of yours came up to you and said, can you tell me the story of God? Do you even know the story of God? Well, my pastor does. My grandparent does. Like, do you know the story of God? Have you embodied the story of God? What is it? And I'm not just talking about the, the last several chapters of the gospel. I'm talking about, do you know Matthew? Do you know Mark? Do you know Luke? Do you know John? Do you know the telling of the story, the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who is the son of God. He wasn't just a prophet. He just wasn't just a teacher. Do you know the story of God? Do you embody the story of God? Third area, division and isolation. Division and isolation. Can I tell you something? This is nothing new. Some of us are like, man, we're more divided than ever before. Well, hold on a second, because if we go back to the Roman Empire, you have slave, slaves and free people. You have Jews and Gentiles. You have zealots and non-zealots. You have the religious elite and you have shepherds. You have division everywhere that you look. And so you have, in the beginning of the church, you have Division and isolation based on socioeconomic class and based on uh, race and based on generations and based on politics and based on all of these things, you have division. So what is so radical, and, and you can look at all the other religious movements that happen throughout history and people are like, well, you know, Christianity is just kind of just one of many other religious movements or faith movements that happen. Here's, what's so, here's one of the most unique things about um, Christianity and about the movement of Christ. It is the most diverse movement of any religious movement in history. Like if you go back and you look and you're like, all right, hold on a second. Like, like 
most of the time what happens is there is a particular group of people who are of the same ethnicity that all of a sudden follow the same ideology. And that's why you have like religions that come from particular areas of the world. But when it comes to Christianity, what is so radical is that there were people from all types of different socioeconomic backgrounds and all types of different ethnicities and all types of different political persuasions and all kinds of different places from life. And they all came together and they came together under one faith and one baptism and one Lord of all. And they were a holy disruption. They were a beautiful disruption into a culture that was completely divided. Can I tell you something, church? Our culture needs a beautiful disruption that anchors us in the story of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we might declare to people that there can be oneness in Christ. This is a beautiful disruption into a divided culture, a beautiful disruption into a fractured culture. How do we do that? We create space. What, we don't just force people to become like us? No, we create space for people who don't yet think like us and act like us and believe like us. We create space for individuals. We invite them to the table. We have fellowship with them. Become an embodiment of who Jesus was. He hung out with people that didn't think like him and act like him and believe like him. We allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our words and our actions. We create a community of people where when people look at us and they see us love one another and care for one another and bear for one another, or bear with one another, let me say it that way, because we know we gotta bear with one another, right? Because we don't all see eye to eye in everything. When they look at us they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. We will never transmit the love of Jesus to the world if we can't figure out how to love each other well. And there is a world that is divided and because of division, they are now isolated. Who desperately needs a beautiful disruption that says, come have community. Come discover what it means to love one another. Let us create space for you. Lastly, we live in a world where people are radically under-resourced. Radically under-resourced. Under-resourced relationally. Most of us are trying to figure out how to adult without the relational skills to know how to adult. We are relationally under-resourced. We are, many people are physically under-resourced. Some, some people don't have the basic needs of food on their table, of a house over their head. When you, when you look at the early church, these were concerns. People are economically under-resourced. They don't have a job. And so when you look at the early church, one of the things that's 
radical about it is that they recognized that their community was under-resourced relationally and under-resourced with the physical needs that they had and under-resourced economically. And they said, you know what? We need to be a beautiful disruption into a world that says this is all there is. This is all there is. And so the response was not just generosity and not just humanitarianism. It was this kingdom generosity that was fueled by their understanding of who God is and their understanding that God has called them to be this beautiful disruption in this world to remind people that God sees them, that they're not alone. It's not just simply uh, providing resources, but it's bringing the love and mercy and forgiveness and resources of the kingdom to come into somebody's life. Our world needs a beautiful disruption that looks like that. So the same words that Jesus spoke to Peter, I speak to us today. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Care for my sheep. Your response to the love of God is not determined by your attendance here today. Your response to the love of God is an embracing of the calling to be sent into a world to feed his sheep. It's not an obligation. It's a, I can't help but do it. I've experienced the mercy of Jesus. I've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. I've experienced the joy of Jesus. I've experienced the peace of Jesus. I've encountered Jesus and I can't help but go and feed sheep to be one who transmits the good news of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus to other people. I can't help it. I can't help but build a community that's centered around Jesus. I can't help but see the needs in a world that is physically under-resourced and relationally under-resourced and say, man, I know what the answer, the holy disruption is. It's not more success and it's not more programs and it's not more this. It is the body of Christ doing kingdom things. I don't want people to feel isolated. I can't handle a world that sees themselves as a storyless people and they're trying to make sense of it and they're trying to make sense of it through success and they're trying to make uh, sense of it in terms of what is right in their own eyes and they're trying to make sense of it in all kinds of things and I'm going, man, if you know and can announce the good news of Jesus, why wouldn't you? And so here's how we're gonna close our time today. We're gonna just spend a couple of moments, but either in your own seat or with people around you, because you've been listening to me for way too long this morning. 
either on your own or with some of the people around you. And I really encourage you, even if you came here and you're on your own, would you just maybe reach out to somebody that's around you and pull them into your grip? Here's the two, here's the two things I want us to pray for. First thing is this, pray for a fresh filling of God's spirit in our lives. Pray for a fresh filling of God's spirit in our lives and pray for divine appointments with people in our community. A fresh filling of God's spirit in our lives and divine appointments in our community where we can share and be that holy, that holy and beautiful disruption. So look around you, take a brief moment. Maybe you came with somebody, they're just right there. Maybe there's somebody around you. And then I'm gonna go three, two, one, and I want you to move at that point. And then again, I'll, I'll mention what we're gonna pray for again. I want you to move and gather with those people. If you're like, I've never prayed before. That's okay. I'm, you'll probably be with someone who has prayed before. All right? If not, first time, just first time for everything. So ready? Three, two, one. Move right now near somebody. Gather together, small groups. If you're on the patio, do the same thing. If you're at home, do the same thing. If you're at home, you can just reflect on these on your own. So here's where we're gonna begin. I want us to pray for a fresh filling of God's spirit in our church, a fresh filling of God's spirit in our church. Go ahead and begin to pray and intercede for a fresh filling of God's spirit in our church, in the churches around the Central Coast. Begin with new life, but begin praying also for the churches around the Central Coast, wherever you are this morning. us, God. May it begin with us. We open ourselves to you, God. So God, we pray that you would be a holy disruption in our own life, a beautiful disruption in our own life, that we might experience a fresh and anew, or maybe for the very first time for some of us, your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your love, that we might encounter you in beautiful ways, that God, you might hijack our plans and disrupt our lives in such a way that we might see things radically differently. That we wouldn't see things with our own eyes and our own agendas and our own motives, but we would see things through your eyes, God. Now I want you to pray for divine appointments. Pray for divine appointments with people, with coworkers and neighbors, people in the grocery store, that your antenna would be up, your spiritual antenna would be up, that you would have eyes to see 
not only the needs of people, but that God would give you a prophetic vision of his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, we pray for divine appointments. We pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see how your kingdom can come and your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. You have breathed on us. You have enlivened us to be sent out into this world, God. God, your word says that you are drawing all people to yourself. And so, God, we get to be a part of pointing people towards you. We get to be a part of your drawing. You invite us into that process as you draw people to yourself, God. We get to be a part of their stories, their faith journeys. We get to be a part of them coming and encountering you. And so, God, we thank you. That isn't an obligation. It's a privilege that we get to be a part of to see new life, to see people coming to you. Hear the prayers of your people, God. We haven't just come to sing some songs and to hear a message and to go home. We have come to be activated as the body of Christ by your spirit. So we ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I'm going to have Nick sing that song that he was playing behind. But I want you to know something about the song. I'm probably, it's been a while since I read this story, so I might get some of the details incorrect. But the song that he was singing, it was part of a prophetic worship time that broke out in Thailand. This worship band was gathered together and they were outside of a brothel where people are sold for their bodies where they're dehumanized and it's just not one brothel there's brothels all the way down this particular street and this worship band began to look around and as they're playing in the midst of people walking by and going in and out of these brothels they began to sing these words. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. They had the prophetic vision to see beyond the sin and the brokenness and become the beautiful disruption in that moment. And so Lord, would you allow us to do that? Would you stand with me and just sing this chorus? Greater things are still to be done. 
in your family, in your home, in your neighborhood. Greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this So church, we'll be gathering after our 11 o'clock service. If you want to be a part of Pizza with Pastor, I invite you to come back and be a part of that. If you want to find ways of being a beautiful disruption during this particular series, again, uh, there's ways that you can do that. Stop by our Connection Central. Also, you can use that, um, I think there's a QR code on the, uh, and there's information on the bulletin that you were handed as you were walking in. We just encourage you, take that first step of being that beautiful disruption in our community as we transmit the love and forgiveness and grace and mercy of God. So as you go today, may you choose to be the beautiful disruption that God has called you to be. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week. Well, I'm pleading my innocence here.